If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. Fires upfield into the end zone. It is caught. Jelani Woods. Touchdown. He's going to fire upfield. It's broken up. Tipped and up. intercepted by the Colts. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Colts have it. Interception. Two seconds left. And the Colts are going to win. In the Indiana Union Construction Industry Radio Studio, let's get the podcast started. What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of the official Colts podcast presented by WinBet. She's Lara Overton. He's Casey Bellier. You burnt your mouth? It's that hot? A little bit. bit. Can we keep that in? (laughs) Let's keep it in. That is a great start to the official Colts podcast here on Tuesday. We are presented by off to a hot start. Literally, Lara Overton over there uh, with the coffee. All right, we are presented by WinBet. We are talking about some things that are real, some things that are not from week one. We're going to add some context to a couple of things that we saw. Lara, I'm, I'm going to not start with you when we get this podcast going. Um, first of all, this is the first Tuesday pod after Monday Night Football. So, like, I am hopped up on coffee because I was up until, you know, 1145 last night watching that Jets-Bills game. Um, We're all a little... Uh interested in what's going to happen now based yeah. off the fight the first Monday night game too yeah that was yeah. uh that's not what we're here to talk about but no, my goodness no, I mean man. but my goodness what a what a <laughs> wild wild outcome so. Colts don't play either of those teams I know right so, yeah. yeah uh yeah anyways on this podcast we're going to take one last look back at that week one loss to the Jaguars answer some key questions from the game and then look at some additional things we need to know about this team heading into week two against the Houston Texans so we're going to start off with segment number one is this real So, Anthony Richardson completed 65% of his passes in week one against the Jaguars. This is a guy who, you know, coming out of college at Florida, it was sort of like, does he have the accuracy? His completion percentage was in the 50s. I think if you talk to some people around the building, some talent evaluators, they would have told you that was a little bit overblown. Yes, yeah. But 65% in his NFL debut, that's pretty good. Casey, was that real? You know, I think it is. I th- I thought one of the things that impressed me so much about Anthony is he took what the defense gave him in a way, and, and I felt like he, he didn't really ever shy away from making just good decisions. Like, the, he had the interception, but besides that, that might be really the only flaw in the game plan. And if that's the if that's the route that you go, yeah, I'm sure there's certain times where you are going to see him throw it a little deeper and they're – Accuracy is going to go up and down in certain instances, but what you saw, I think, on Sunday is sustainable. So when I look at you completing 65% of his passes, it was one of those things that watching it, I was like, he kind of looks like a guy who plays that part. So I wasn't shocked. It was one of the things, as you mentioned, it had been a topic of conversation from the moment that he burst onto the combine scene and all of that. But then I also heard a whole bunch of people during the whole process of if you look at all of the throws he made during his poor completion in 2022 at Florida, there were a lot of drop passes. Yep. There were a lot of throwaways. So a lot of that is skewing that average. So I think maybe not 65% we're going to see all year, but I think flirting around that number is something that might be real. Well, and incompletions, too. It's like that's something that gets charged to the quarterback when right. in reality is not always right. his fault. And you look to when I was breaking down, you know, the postgame notes, it's like, you know, most completions by a Colts rookie in his first career start 
beating Andrew Luck, yeah. like surpassing what Andrew Luck did. First quarterback in a rookie debut to have a rushing and passing touchdown. I mean, it's like there are all these factors in there that you feel like give you such great optimism. And I think what was fun was to finally get to see a bit of the dynamic of what this offense is truly going to be. And, you know, still you had elements that weren't totally there. Of course, you were kind of working through some things with Evan Hull getting knocked out early on and, uh, you know, some ball security issues uh, around the offense. So I think that for the great, for the majority of it, this is something I talked with Shane Steichen about earlier in the week. Like there was, you saw a lot of growth from Anthony Richardson, even just in those four quarters, it was a small sample size in the preseason, but you know, you saw glimpses of what it was going to be. And I think in terms of what you expected to see this really kind of at least met or exceeded what you were hoping to see out of a rookie quarterback in that first start. And he's only going to get better. Here's why I think it's real. It, none of this looked too big for him. Right. And I think we've known that about Anthony, you know, getting to know him, getting to see him throughout the preseason, that the, the moment's never going to be too big for him. But it is an NFL regular season game. It's a bigger stage. The stakes are much higher than taking the field in Philadelphia for a preseason game. And it, he looked like the same Anthony Richardson we've got to know here. He's calm, cool, collected. To me, that he had a couple throws in this game that really kind of made me sit up, you know, in my seat. The, the one that I want to go into is uh, Colts are driving toward the end zone. And uh, the, the Jaguars bring Foya Oluokan on a blitz. And Josh Downs, he gets kind of that choice route yeah. against uh, Andre Sisco, the safety. Downs goes wide open. Richardson you know, sta- like stands his ground, fires a strike to Downs for a, a big chunk gain. And in the face of a blitz... To me, that was a really good throw. It was accurate. It was right on time. It gave Downs a chance to go get some yards after the catch. Also, rewatching it, I honestly thought Josh Downs is on a linebacker the way that he got open. I was like, there, you know, the quickness. <laughs> that must have been a linebacker. Nope, that was a safety. Uh, Josh Downs, a really good player there. Yeah, his, uh, his footwork is <laughs> it's top of the line. But, that's for sure. But, Casey, for Anthony, just the, the glimpses that we saw and just the mentality that we saw carry over to me, it almost wasn't a surprise that he came out and he looked as poised as he did in this game. That's such a great word. The, the poise, we have continued to see it. I mean, we saw it in the joint practices. We saw it in preseason. But as you mentioned, you know, the, the lights come on, on on the first NFL game. It does change. Things go up a little bit. The yeah, Everything else is kind of heightened. So we weren't entirely sure what that was going to be like. But it looked like he had played just like every other time we had seen him under center. And that's one of the things that I've been so impressed to this point. I mean, I've had, you know, friends and family asking, you know, you're behind, you're, you're kind of behind the closed doors. What have you seen? And I'm like, he seems like a guy who th- this is where he's supposed to be. And I'm very, I've been very impressed throughout this entire process. I love hearing Rick Venturi talk about how typically in his time covering the NFL, he doesn't have more affinity of a player five weeks after the drafted just because you just don't know, but he does with Anthony Richardson uh-huh. because he's gotten to know and see about and He's like, he gets better every single day. So you're seeing the growth, as Lara said. I mean, he continues to get better. And yeah, the Colts lost. There were a handful of areas where he can improve, but I would think from the national perspective, all that I heard anybody talking about the Colts is, wow, if you're a Colts fan, you should be very excited about what you saw because this was a guy that everybody thought – he is so far away from being the guy that, you know, his rookie and maybe second year is what he needs just to figure out if he's there. I think what you saw in week one, 
against a Jacksonville team who we're going to talk about this team for the next, you know, at least a couple years as being a favorite to win this division, a favorite to represent the AFC when you're looking at playoff success. This Jags team is going to be a, a team definitely in the conversation this year. So what he did against them, I thought it was very, very good to see in week one. One quick thing to thinking back to previous rookies in prior seasons, when is it typically guys look like rookies? Most often it's when they get in the end zone and they're mm-hmm. so right. They're like, oh, oh my gosh, what do I do? I thought I would have a plan for this. Right. And, you know, they're, they're being mauled by their teammates and all of that. But, you know, that's kind of when it's almost that deer in headlights moment, deer in headlight moment. When I watched Anthony, that first touchdown that he had on the day, and he comes to silent, and everyone jumping on him, high-fiving him, patting on the back, all of that, slapping the helmet. He's obviously thankful and, and everything, but he is beelining. His eyes are directly toward the north end of the bench where, you know, the offensive line comes off the field. They're gassed. They're, you know, obviously it was a good drive that they had put together. So they're all down there going to the bench, getting water and everything. Anthony goes directly to each and every one of those guys mm-hmm. to thank them, to congratulate them, made sure no one was left out. And I just thought that was such a great indication of just the leadership that he has already established within this offense, too, that that was where his priority was. Like, yeah, he had fun in that moment, but he was like, where are my guys? Speaking of the offensive line, th- this is the next thing I want to talk about. Is this real or not? I'm, I'm also I'm going to attempt this again. Don't, don't, burn, <laughs> don't burn yourself. Don't burn your mouth. That's going to be tough. Yeah, we're good. Okay, good. Thanks. Great. That's a that's a relief that now we can continue the podcast. Sip two, we're good. All right. So the Colts offensive line, according to Pro Football Focus, did not allow a sack in this game. Anthony Richardson was sacked four times. To me, two of those are just trash. Right. Like he he ran out of bounds short, like barely short of the line of scrimmage twice. So he'd throw those out. The other two came when he had held the ball for over three and a half seconds. Usually that is a coverage sack that's not really on the offensive line at that point. Bernard Ryman had a really good game. He allowed only one pressure and 47 pass-blocking snaps per pro football focus. Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly were the two highest-graded offensive linemen on the Colts in terms of pass protection. Is it real that this Colts offensive line can continue to protect as well as they did in Week 1? I think absolutely it is. I have been, I've told you guys this, I've told everybody, I've been bullish on this offensive line the entire offseason. I I thought that they had a chip on their shoulder. They all could play a lot better than what they put out on the field in 2022. And this was, you know, going to be one of those years where you see a big bounce back. And then, you know, the entire offseason, one of the big storylines is how much Bernard Ryman kind of grew into that left tackle body, how much he's really grown after having, you know, the the taste of it as a rookie last year and what it's going to look like this year. And, I mean, he has looked the part, and and I think you saw that again on Sunday because one of the things about Jacksonville's defense is they've got some pretty – I mean, Josh Allen and Tavon Walker, those guys are very uh, accomplished in their own right. You know, Walker, you know, he's still trying to get into the the, what, you know, what the NFL is, but – First overall pick for a reason. Josh Allen is a stud defensive end. So some of the guys he's going up against, this isn't your run-of-the-mill, just average defense. So hearing those numbers about Bernard, it just helps solidify everything we've talked about to this point. But I 100% think this is real. I think this offensive line has taken the strides it needs to. And I'm very excited about what they can do. I know the running game is an area that they would all probably like to say, we need to get better there. 
But what you saw from the way they were able to protect and give Anthony time, I think all of that is just going to continue to be a positive thing for this offense. And the depth already got a little bit tested because there was a period of time where you did not have Quentin Nelson. He went into the locker room early before halftime in that second quarter, being evaluated for a toe injury. He was able to come back, thankfully. But you early on kind of had some of that tested Mm -hmm. a little bit, and there wasn't a significant drop-off at that period of time. So that's a huge credit to Tony Sperano Jr. and the work that he has done preparing that group and molding that group into, you know, playing back to the caliber that they expect themselves to be. All right, last thing, is this real? The Colts went 2 of 12 on third down. They were 1 of 5 on fourth down, and they were 1 of 3 in scoring, just touchdown or field goal, in the red zone. To me, those those are the three things that kind of defined why the Colts lost this game in addition to then, obviously, losing the turnover battle. Um, Are these situational things that could dog the Colts all season long? I mean, this is a young team. They're the third youngest roster in the NFL. I know that's, you know, a lot's been made about that. Um, The situational execution, that's something that, obviously, Shane Steichen has said needs to get better, but... Is that something that you think going forward can get better with this team? I think absolutely. I think all I think all of that it comes into trust and repetition and with a young team I think that is maybe not to the extent of what we saw the struggles on Sunday were, but it's kind of to be expected. You know, there's going to be ups and downs in that, you know, red zone, you know, third down, fourth down, all of that. It's going to be one of those things you're going to continue to see more and more repetition. It's going to be better. So that is, I mean, you talk about the NFL. I know last year, I think the NFL set a record with the average margin was eight points throughout the entire season, which that just shows you that every game, it's always going to be close. So that's where, when you look about the, at the teams that are successful and not successful, it comes down to those key stats, third down, red zone, all of that stuff. So it's definitely going to be an area you're going to emphasize. I don't know necessarily when you look at those numbers that that is real and that's what it's going to be throughout. I think it's a small sample size. It's an area that we have seen throughout training camp, OTAs. Shane and the and the, the offensive staff, they work hard on those situations and we're practicing it at nauseum so it's going to be an area we're going to continue to emphasize and see them working on here but I don't think necessarily that is what you look at and say all right they're going to struggle all year on third down fourth down and then and so I think that is an area we're going to see them to continue improve but I will say that that is an area that I'm expecting it to be a little slower to getting up to you know when you look at the leaders of of the NFL in that category. I do think it's something you have to address and hone in on sooner rather than later. I think that's an Mm -hmm. immediate area of attention that I think that between week one and week four, you have to see significant improvement in those specific margins because you're establishing a greater identity of this offense. Shane Steichen is getting more and more comfortable, you know, in that head coaching role. He's been the play caller before, so not a ton of difference necessarily there. But you kind of just have everyone – At that point in time, as you get to the end of the quote-unquote first quarter Mm -hmm. of the season, you really start to fine-tune in some of those areas that are going to be the difference between – you know, those that margin, that, you know, single score yeah. differential between winning and losing. I mean, a lot of coaches will tell you the, the first quarter of the season is kind of an extension of the preseason. That's right. where you form your identity is really in those first four games. And, yeah, this this is something that can't be the Colts' identity. 
And I think, you know, that that's absolutely going to be an emphasis in practice. It's going to be an emphasis in games to, to execute in these situations. I'm glad you say that, because if you look around the league at some of the teams that struggled, I mean, look at what happened in Cincinnati. That is a team that people are picking as a Super Bowl yeah, favorite. Yeah, what did happen? Because I, mean, I didn't see anything. I mean, clearly, see, I, it was going on Miles, while did, we were playing. Did, by the way, did you see Miles Garrett? Uh-uh. So he was told in the offseason he can't play basketball anymore. So he's like... They're just doing like wild stuff with him. They have Miles Garrett lined up over the center, and he's like faking like he's like Allen Iverson, like crossing <laughs> over uh, the center, and then he just goes and he roasts the center and sacks Joe Burrow in like a second and a half. I um, mean, Miles Garrett, he's he's a different he's a that, different uh, guy for that, sure. That Cleveland defense coming in here is going to be a tough challenge. <laughs> yes, they are. In a couple of weeks. He, he's tough to answer. Uh, yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> Very uh, much good so. uh, defensive player of the year candidate there. That was my uh, Allen Iverson. Ah. See, I can only think of him stepping over Tyron Lue. Yeah, all I can think about is yeah. practice. I mean, we talking about practice. That's all I can yeah. think about with AI. It's so, so good. So, but the you do look around the league, and a lot of teams did struggle week right. one. I mean, the Giants didn't score a single point. That's a playoff team from last year. Uh, I mean, we look at what the Bills Look, did the, yesterday. The, I mean, well, we talk about the Bills I'm gonna, on Monday I'm gonna, night. I'm and, actually going to tie in the Bills here in a little okay, bit. Okay, all right. With yeah. something that you know I saw like, last also, night. Also, I mean that Dallas defense. Oh, oh. my goodness. Oh man. Fantasy owners out there, if so, you had Dallas by defense, the way, I'm sure you won your my matchup My dad this and week. I, you guys have heard me probably talk about this before, my dad and I pick every game on Sunday against just one another for nothing more, more than bragging rights. Everybody calm down. <laughs> <laughs> we we vie for what he calls the Burger King crown because it's basically just like a paper crown, right? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. the Whopper. Uh, and I beat my dad because I part of the reason was I had such strong conviction in what the Dallas defense was going to be. Did with- he pick the Giants? No, wow. Larry. No, Larry. Ouch. Oh man, I think that should count as double. I'm, I'm, I'm putting my dad on blast on the podcast. What kind of daughter am I? But Ooh. yeah, Wait, yeah, just bust tossing your dad on the <laughs> podcast really here. I'm really there are a few others. Yeah, it's really he bad when bad beats when you pick a team and they lose forty to nothing. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's really Ugh. bad. So. <laughs> Ooh, man. But yeah, I mean, there, there were a handful. I mean, the Giants, we, we talk, I mean, that's yeah. a team who, you know, they were a playoff team last year. You know, it, it, it's mm-hmm. crazy to see what struggles week one happen. And, you know, we dive it in here locally and talk about this Colts team. We all left the stadium thinking there was a lot of really good that we saw. And that is the best thing that we saw on Sunday. All right. Credit to the person who's behind the camera right now, because she was talking about uh, how much fun Sunday, just like the entire game experience was. And I, that was such an indication of what I heard from so many fans. Yeah. Like yeah. People were there. People were locked in. People were on their feet. And I do think that there were you walked out of it and you're disappointed. Right. Anytime right. you lose, yeah. you're disappointed. But you saw this is a team that's going to give you a ton of optimism, and a, they're going to be entertaining. Yeah. They're going to be a fun team to watch. They're going to be a team. Here's one of my things about that team. There was absolutely, like, just zero amount of rolling over. Like, it was, you mm-hmm. know, Shane Steichen talks about being relentless, and that team was relentless, and they fought, and they clawed, and they dug, and, like, didn't have enough to ultimately come away with the win. But, dang, it's a team that you're going to get behind and that you're excited to see how much fight that they're going to put each and every week. And I do think this is a team that will surprise people. Yep. I think that you, you framed it really well. That just like I left that game with just like really good vibes. Yeah. Even though it was a loss. And you're obviously like, ah, you know, wish you could have pulled that game out. But like you start thinking about it. And you're like, the, you know, vibes are pretty good. It's a rookie quarterback making his first start. You know, well, you guys are going to uh, talk about C.J. Stroud quite a bit on the Thursday episode of this yeah. podcast. 
Uh, but he was sacked five times and he lost 58 yards on those sacks. Yeah. Bryce Young, their offense only managed 10 points in Carolina in his debut. Rookie quarterbacks are going to have these. Houston didn't score a touchdown. Right, they didn't score a touchdown. So, I mean, it, it, rookies are going to have these mistakes. And I think you look at what the Colts did. Okay, they scored 14 points on offense. It's not like they, they blew anyone out of the water. But if you clean up some of these issues, it wasn't like it was three and out, three and out, three right. and out, three and out. It was like... You got to some of these spots. You got in some third and shorts, some fourth and shorts that you weren't able to convert. If you turn those around, I think you're right, Lara. You can have some games where you're really going to go surprise some people. Yeah. So let's add a little bit more context now to a couple things from week one. And Lara, I want to start with you on this one. Shaquille Leonard, mm-hmm. being back out there, I don't think it was a, a coincidence that you saw a bunch of players punch the ball out. Even if Shaq wasn't one of those guys, EJ had a punch out. Zaire had a punch out, even though he said he was just being an a hole. Uh, <laughs> that's what he told you after the game, uh, which I love. That's great. Keep doing that, Z. Yeah. Um, it's you, part of the reason we love Zaire. Yes, like, it's great. Right. Yeah. Come on. Uh, you know, I think you saw the the that emphasis on takeaways. Just just having Shaq out there juices it up in a way that is kind of hard to explain when he's not on the field. And I just noticed in a couple of situations where, like the Julian Blackman near interception, right? Remember that play? I was watching, I was kind of keyed in on Shaq, and I could see him motioning, and Blackman completely reacted to what Shaq was signaling to get himself in a good position. So I think that he was so responsible in a lot of situations for getting guys into the right position to make everyone else have different yeah. have those plays and so, have those contributions. So that play, I went back and watched it, and it's an RPO, and Trevor Lawrence throws it behind, I think it was Christian Kirk. And if he had thrown it accurately, Shaq's picking that ball off. So just the presence of Shaquille Leonard where Lawrence is like, this guy's got arms the size of a time. jumbo jet. I can't throw it here. <laughs> yep. And he he's like, oh, maybe I'll just throw it behind and kind of, you know, maybe he should have thrown it low or whatever, but threw it behind and threw it right to Julian Blackman. Well, and he's one of the ones, too, when Zaire punches the ball out, and he's yelling because he's still pretty far back in pursuit. He's yelling at Buck, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Yeah. You know, it's that, it's that captain of the defense that he is where – it's infectious. His impact that is out there, like there's an energy that he brings. You guys, like I stand at the end of kind of the tunnel where everybody's running out, and Shaq came out of the tunnel. the The offense was introduced, so defense came out first, and I was just kind of watching guys come out. And Shaq, instead of having his helmet on, he's got a hat on backwards as he comes out of the tunnel. You guys, this smile that was plastered on his face, <laughs> looking out there, running out of the tunnel again, was just so significant of, oh my gosh, we've gotten here. I've fought through so much to be back. It was just a palpable joy and appreciation that you saw from him that carried through the entire rest of the game. And, you know, I'm not sure whether he was on a pitch count or not, but in situations when they would bring him off the field, whether it was just for personnel or, you know, play calling situations, different things, man, he was mad. Yeah. Like he did not, he was, he uh-huh. was giving it to him when he would come off the field and pre, you know, I mean, just a couple of moments pregame, Richard Smith, linebackers coach just has a moment where he goes up and just hugs Shaq. And it was just, that is what he means to everybody. Like everyone wanted him to know how happy they were that he was back and how significant it is that he's back because the 
the Colts record with and without Shaquille Leonard stands for itself. Well, last year we saw him on the sidelines getting the crowd excited, but there's just such a different energy when he is standing in the middle of the defense asking for noise. It almost feels like, I mean, like our, our plexiglass windows in the radio booth are vibrating with how loud it was. Like, that was the loudest I've ever heard Lucas Oil, at least most that I can remember hearing Lucas Oil on Sunday. And, and a 10-point loss, albeit. Yeah. I mean, I know it was a lot closer than what the out, but that was what guys like Shaquille Leonard being on the field do for that entire fan base, that entire stadium. And that was what it was for me, was watching him ask for the crowd to get loud. Like, I can only imagine what he is feeling because that's what he loves. He he is the energizer for that defense. And for him to see the entire crowd get behind him and give the defense what they need, I'm sure those emotions, he can probably only speak yeah. to it for himself because I'm sure that was what really got him too. I'll also say, not having Shaq Leonard last year for a significant period of the year, Look at how guys like EJ Speed and Zaire Franklin rose to the occasion. Mm-hmm. That is only going to continuously benefit this defense. They didn't now, drop off. Now having Shaq back. Now everyone else has just continued to rise. Now he's back, and they're going to all elevate one another. So I think in the long run, the you know difficulty and the challenge of not having him last year and what you missed – Actually, this year could pay dividends for this defense because now you have a whole core group of these linebackers who are bona fide playmakers and bona fide takeaway guys. Yeah, I mean, Zaire Franklin. Whole. He's on pace for 306 <laughs> tackles, <laughs> guy, for the record. He is an absolute tackles. beast, and he showed it again on Sunday. I'm glad you brought him up because he definitely stepped up the occasion last year. But you talk about that duo being out there. Good luck to opposing offenses because those guys are incredible. Every time EJ speeds on the field, oh, he's yeah. making plays he's making too. Plays. I mean, this is yeah. this is what it was last year, and it's still the case this year. He's a really good player yeah. on that defense. Also, I mean, Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner. Like, <laughs> okay, good. if Grover Stewart does not take the double team on that the play that resulted in a the, the routine <laughs> yeah. as a joke strip sack <laughs> fumble it, recovery touchdown for Defoe like that totally he took it was one of the few occasions that DeForest Buckner had a one-on-one matchup yep. he uses the swim move to get around get to Lawrence and Grove was taken on the double team that created the opportunity for that so <laughs> as much credit as Defoe and, and Zaire get on that play Grove gets a yeah. little credit yeah. too well that okay this is where like I feel like we have to say this every year just turn on the film and watch Grover Stewart. Oh, my, yeah. And tell me that's not a Pro Bowl player. <laughs> right. Like, have, the stuff that he does to free up DeForest Buckner. I was talking to Quiddy Pay after the game, and he's like, Grove just makes my job easy. <laughs> like, playing next to Grove, Quiddy had 10 tackles for a loss last year. He, he might get 20 this year <laughs> just playing next to Grove. Like, that, he, so much respect for those guys. You can't run the ball against this team. Uh, you know, I know Travis Etienne Jr. had that that big run at the end of the game. Right. Jaguars running back still only averaged 3.3 yards per carry in this game. It's tough to move the ball against One, these guys. Just while we're on the defense, because there should be just such a spotlight on those guys, because there were so many great things. But have you ever seen a six foot seven man with the oh. extension to the <laughs> that pylon? Was unreal. Excuse me. <laughs> that was unbelievable. We kept like, watching the replay up in the booth, and I was like. Man, how did he do that? I like mean, he said it was total instinct <laughs> and he knew he was probably going to hear it from Shane because yeah. he was like, you know, that's risky to oh, do yeah. that. Oh, out of the end the zone. Sure. World's dumbest rule. When yeah. your hand is a dinner plate, you're not going <laughs> to lose the football. 
Enough said, right there. That's the clip we need to cut right <laughs> there. there. Is, right there. <laughs> when your hand is a dinner plate. All right, well, let's get back into some things that we need some more context for. So Anthony Richardson didn't really throw the ball downfield a whole lot. His average depth of target was like six yards. He checked it down quite a bit. But this is where I want to bring up the Monday night game. Because I was thinking about this as I was watching Josh Allen throw deep into two high safeties and getting picked off twice. Yep. Just check the ball down. Anthony Richardson did a good job of saying Jacksonville's taking away Alec Pierce downfield. He's taking away Michael Pittman downfield by playing those two high safeties and a lot of deep zone when they were playing cover three. So he just checked it down. He took the outlets that were there and yeah. he didn't force anything really until they got into that cover two look late in the game where, you know, that was a ball that, you know, Shane Steichen said right. on Colts Roundtable Live, hey, maybe just check that down next time, but that's a learning moment. For me, that was really good that Anthony in those moments wasn't forcing stuff that wasn't there. That was my whole conversation with someone on Sunday was so often you have rookies with elite athleticism that are used to having to do so much and take it on and play a little bit of hero ball, right? And often you see themselves putting themselves into situations where they are trying to do too much. And I think one of the things that you saw, one of the great indications about just how good of a quarterback Anthony Richardson is and will continue to be, is the fact that he didn't try to do too much. He was looking for the guys around him to make plays and looking for everyone else, looking for what the options are, rather than just saying, I've got to do it all myself. And mm -hmm. I thought that was a really great indication of how well he has taken to the wealth of talent that he has around him. One of the things that I kind of laughed at, you know, I look at I'm not very active on social media, more of a voyeur. I kind of look at the comments, but Casey Voyeur? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, we're onto something now, Larry. Easy with that. Oh but, boy. Oh no. You, know, you don't want to be known as that. Ultimately, you know, watching some of the comments on Twitter is everybody complained that he couldn't make those check down intermediate throws. That was where yep. he struggles. And then he goes out and does it on Sunday, and everybody's like, why didn't he throw it deep? And I'm like, what do you want from this guy? Because you're complaining two weeks ago that he can't make those intermediate throws and all of that. And he goes out, and like I said early on, he, get, he takes what the defense gave him. And I think that is one of the things where you talk about his growth. That is the biggest growth that I think you're going to see is when it comes to the football IQ, it starts to come through on the field. When you just say, you know, I don't need – to force it. I don't need to do that because getting first downs, moving the football is how you win in this league, and you do it by taking what the defense gives you, and I think we saw that on Sunday. Yeah, You talk about the interception, and I'm sure there were areas where you could have maybe taken a shot here or there, but for the most part, not playing hero ball like we saw Josh Allen do because ultimately, if we talk about that Monday Night Football game, I don't think there's any reason the Bills should have even – it shouldn't even yeah. have been a close game right. with what the Jets' offense was limited to. But because of the way that Josh Allen played quarterback on Monday night, that's why that game was close. And in the NFL, it's all if it's close, anybody can win. And you saw that with the Jets. And that's one of the things that I was – I'm glad you brought that up because that's literally what I said is, man, Josh Allen – why a couple of those throws just why and you could have been in the same boat with Anthony with the defense that right. the Jacksonville was playing yeah by the way Josh Allen earned uh Jets safety Jordan Whitehead a $250,000 performance bonus in one game <laughs> what? he had a $250,000 wow. performance bonus if he got three interceptions in a season he had him in one game <laughs> talk about hey, spreading the there wealth you era go wow um <laughs> 
helping right. out his guys there <laughs> on the other team, Josh. Uh, well done. <laughs> la- last thing to, to talk about here, I think as we, we talk about Anthony not taking shots downfield when they weren't there, we have to talk about the run game, where Colts running backs, when Anthony Richardson handed the ball off, I believe gained 25 yards on, I think it was 16 carries. That's a number that you're not going to win a whole lot of games. Right when that's what that rushing total from your running backs looked like. I thought Anthony ran the ball well when he had design runs, when he had scrambles, you know, 10 carries for 40 yards, sound, yeah. you know, sounded about right. Um, the, the run game is something that, you know, is going to need to get better. But a little bit of context here is the, the Jaguars played that five-man front that Rick Venturi talks all about, you know, what's it, the double sink? Double sink, yep. Um, and Deion Jackson, uh, he had six carries against that that I looked up on Pro Football Focus, he lost two yards on those. So we'll see kind of how the Colts respond to that. Maybe getting Zach Moss back this week, that, that will be, that'll make a difference there. Uh, you know, stinks about Evan Hall. Shane Steichen said on Monday he might miss a little bit of time with right. a knee injury. Um, but, you know, kind of going forward, that's a, a, an area of this offense in addition to kind of the situational stuff that the Colts do need to improve on. I would be excited to see, you know, hopefully this week against Houston, what Zach Moss is able to do. Obviously had the, you know, injury in training camp and has been progressing back from that. And even when it occurred, Shane had said there's a pretty good chance he could be ready pretty early on, whether that's week one or week two. So you would kind of like to see if he can progress into being available for this week and and seeing the type of impact that he can have on this run game with as well as you do have, you know, this offensive line off to a pretty solid start. Well, I think also what we saw in Zach Moss at the end of last year was very encouraging. He was very good. That guy was like dragging bodies. Like I remember being on the sideline and he would be taking like three and four tacklers with him, like on carries. He's unbelievable. Those three games he started, he averaged five points. Yeah six yards per carry or something that's pretty good and I think we all agree that before he got injured in camp he was having a great camp great it camp. was one of those things you were looking you're like man this guy I mean you're all in context we all love Naeem Hines you know that was the trade that brought Zach Moss here we sure. loved what Naeem Hines offered on the football field and you weren't entirely sure what you got in Zach Moss in season trade you don't you know the evaluation you don't have that that pre-notion of what Zach Moss was, but mm-hmm. you kind of got that as the season progressed and into camp, and you're like, man, I'm really glad this guy is a part of this running back room because yeah. he's going to be called upon. So I, I'm, I'm anxious, just like you are, to get him back because I think Zach Moss has – he's got a little chip on his shoulder of, you know, I, I was – essentially thrown to the sidelines in Buffalo. They didn't want me anymore. I've got something to prove. So I'm anxious to see him get back on the field for sure. All right. Well, we're gonna, we are going to have plenty more coming this week here on the Colts Audio Network and on YouTube. That'll be the Thursday podcast with Casey, Matt Taylor, Bill Brooks, and we'll have a player guest back here on set for that episode. On Wednesday, Inside Football with Rick Venturi. That'll be out with blueprints for the Colts to beat the Texans and a look back at week one. And then after the game on Sunday, I will have an instant reaction episode with Bill Brooks. Uh, Once I get back from Houston, we'll record that. That'll be out Sunday night for your Monday morning commute. Tune in for our analysis of the Colts and the Texans. Also, if you're watching us here on YouTube, drop us a comment. Let us know what you think of the episode. And if you have a question, I'm going to try to take some comments from the YouTube uh, you know, episodes that we put out here and go answer them on my Thursday Colts mailbag because oh, we got nice. some we got some good comments over the last couple of weeks. Thanks for everyone who watched. Uh, you know, glad that we are now some talking faces instead <laughs> of just go. a you know blank graphic. 
Uh, you know, glad we're able to do that. And thanks to right, Josh Downs. Right, because before we were talking faces, we were just cut off at the <laughs> yeah, neck. Right. Yeah. Was, well, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just shoulders down. Right. Well, yeah, you couldn't even, yeah. Good point. You couldn't even see us. Now you can see us. You can see Casey with his home field shirt. There you go, yeah. Hoosier Dome. Lara's got a Johnny U going Johnny on there. Yeah. Uh, Lara and I have the same decals on our computer, so we got to diversify those a little bit. <laughs> I got to find something cool to put on here because, I mean, this this looks great, but I need, you know, now that everyone's looking at my laptop, yeah. Yeah. Got to work on it. I don't have anything on mine, so next week I'll bring well, mine. Well, you don't even have a just, laptop, clearly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's somewhere around here, but yeah, there's nothing on it. No, we've got to work on uh, those decals. I need, to get some I need, I need, I need a driving piece, crooner decal for this. You need more pieces of flair. Yeah. <laughs> pieces of flair. Yeah. Get a little uh, driving crooner on this. All right, anyways, that's going to do it for us here on this episode of the official Colts podcast presented by WinBet. For Lara Overton and Casey Valier, I'm JJ Stankovitz. Thanks so much for watching. We'll talk to you next time.